presents First Years, a podcast for all but geared toward adult first-time readers of Harry Potter, who need a space to enjoy each book and have adult conversations about it. My name is Sarah, and I'm honored that you've allowed me on this journey with you. Crack open a butterbeer, grab a seat, and let's discuss. Today, we're talking about division and things that are hidden. Welcome, everybody, to episode 47 of First Years. Today, we are going over chapter four of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. I hope that everyone had a wonderful holiday, whatever you celebrate, and a happy new year. Um, Thank you so much for allowing me an extra week to get this episode up. I was super sick, and my voice just (laughs) sounded horrible, and it would not have been an enjoyable episode to uh, listen to me um, last week. So here we are, we're going over chapter four. So where we left off is that Harry is brought to the headquarters of the Order of the Phoenix, which is number 12 Grimmauld Place in London, and he's told to read the parchment quickly and to memorize it. Harry isn't allowed to ask questions while they're outside the house, and Moody sets the parchment on fire so that there's no evidence of it. And at this location, the headquarters is hidden between numbers 11 and 13. It literally says that the door emerges out of nowhere, and the muggles in the surrounding buildings just don't seem to notice anything. So the first thing that hits us right off the bat here is a theme of things being hidden and secrecy. And that continues as we get into the house. There are many secrets here, and even as we get answers, there are more questions that need answering behind each of those answers. When Lupin opens the door, it's noted that there's no keyhole or letterbox, and there are many locks that are unlocked and a chain that falls before the door is opened. And Harry is told, don't go far inside and don't touch anything. And everyone is speaking in whispers when they enter. And there's a line that says, Harry heard something scuttling behind the baseboard, which gives such a creepy, mysterious feeling to this place. And there are several things that are shaped like snakes, if you caught that. And we see another familiar face, Mrs. Weasley, and even she is whispering as she greets Harry, and there's talk of a meeting, and Harry is prevented from going into the room with everybody else. He has to wait until the meeting is over, and he has to keep his voice down so that he doesn't, quote, wake anything up, unquote. And Harry tries asking another question, and she says, I'll explain later, I've got to hurry, I'm supposed to be at the meeting. So if we just pause for a moment here, this book started with Harry laying under the windowsill to get some news, and he wasn't able to get any. And all his letters from his friends were just saying, oh, we can't say much yet. And also, while we're here, might I point out that Mrs. Weasley didn't mention their mentors and didn't say anything about, oh, I'm so glad you're all right. And finally, Harry is rescued. 
And yet, in his first moments here, he's still being denied information, which I think is what leads to his explosion when he meets up with Ron and Hermione. It's this brief moment of, thank God I'm away from that place, but that in and of itself doesn't make the rest of it okay. His frustrations of the last few weeks and everything he's gone through is still there. So Mrs. Weasley tells him that Ron and Hermione will explain everything, leads him to the bedroom, and then she heads off to rejoin the meeting. And Hermione knows right away that Harry will have been angry with them because she knows how unfair this whole situation has been. And she's really the first one to ask Harry about the Dementors and wants to know everything. And it's almost like... If we think about this in more general terms, it's almost like Ron and Hermione are the safe space for Harry. Because remember that they're the ones that allowed him to produce a Patronus charm. And so they're the safe space where he can have his meltdown with his temper and find out the information. Sort of like how, you know, you'll tell things to your friends that you won't tell your parents or the other adults in your life because it's safer that way. It's finally this safe space where he can break down because he's really not on the defense anymore, unlike how he needs to be with the Dursleys or with Dementors that are trying to kill him. And in this moment, it's also a situation where what was going on was different than what Harry might have assumed it was. Like, it wasn't that Ron and Hermione were purposefully excluding Harry because they just didn't want him to know anything. Dumbledore made them swear not to tell him anything in the letters, even though they wanted to keep him in the loop. And yet, we can understand this situation, and Harry can still feel angry about it, because he was left out of everything, and that's unfair no matter what. And Harry, as this anger overcomes him, pokes holes in all of the decisions made so far in regard to him. He thought you were safest with the muggles. Harry ends up attacked by Dementors. He had people trailing you from the Order. Harry had to defend himself anyway. He made us swear not to put anything important in letters. Harry points out that Dumbledore must know a way to convey information to him without the use of owls. And Harry points out everything that he's done so far in this series going up against Voldemort multiple times, the Sorcerer's Stone, the Chamber of Secrets, the Dementors in Book 3, every single task of the Triwizard Tournament, plus what occurred in the graveyard. And not to mention that Hermione talks about how angry Dumbledore was and how it was scary. But this is something that Harry has, yet again, already seen at the end of last book. Harry isn't some dumb kid. He's handled more than most, and he's making his case as to why he should be informed of things that concern him. And if you have the physical book with you, look at these pages. Harry is yelling in all caps, which we really haven't seen before in this book. It shows just how angry he is, how furious, how upset he is with everyone and everything. And when Harry is making his point about everything he's been through, 
it doesn't come across as braggy. Like, he's not trying to make the argument that he's better than everyone else at something. He's laying out his case as to why he should be trusted with this information because he is responsible and has the life experience to handle it. He should be trusted and deserves the due respect from Dumbledore, and he's hurt not to be getting it. And he only calms down when Hermione says, quote, We're really sorry. You're absolutely right. I'd be furious if it was me. Unquote. Because she's recognizing his feelings, which is the first time this has happened to him since this book started. Who wouldn't be pissed in Harry's position? And then we finally get some answers. And it also ties into this theme of secrecy. The Order of the Phoenix is a secret society founded by Dumbledore, and it's full of people who fight Voldemort, as they did the last time, and probably are set to do it again now that he's back. Some of the members are following known Death Eaters and keeping tabs on them, some are recruiting people to the Order, some are guarding something, but we're not really sure what it is, unless they mean Harry, which is a possibility. So, this is pretty big. And pretty awesome. This is a pretty awesome, big new thing that we've just gotten introduced to. A Dumbledore-led secret society that fights Voldemort. Sounds awesome to me. What else do you think they're working on? And I have to point out that the title of this book is the same name as the society. So like I asked last time, what role do you think they'll play in this book? They just rescued Harry from home and were taking major precautions as they did so. So what do you think? Will they need to continue to protect Harry throughout this book? What other actions will we see from them? We also learn in this chapter that Severus Snape is in the Order of the Phoenix, which seems crazy. He's been giving reports and according to Hermione, quote, he's on our side now unquote. Although no one else seems to believe that. Do you? Snape was thought to be the enemy in book one, but it turns out he was trying to save Harry's life. However, he's still been horrible to Harry at every turn, and we found out last book that he has the dark mark on his arm. So he definitely followed Voldemort at one time. And this brings up an interesting question that we can think about as we go forward in this book and maybe see how Snape interacts with our characters moving forward. So the question is, do you think someone who followed Voldemort can be redeemed? What could they possibly do to change sides? Or does once a Death Eater, always a Death Eater apply to this situation? And that brings us into the other theme I thought stood out in this chapter, which is division. Since apparently Snape is part of the Order of the Phoenix, and yet no one believes he has good intentions, that's one divide. The other is the story we get about Percy. The two eldest Weasley brothers, Bill and Charlie, already work for the Order, making contacts, which Harry asks about whether Percy could do that as he works in the Department of International Magical Cooperation. However, 
Turns out Percy has pulled himself out of the family of his own volition. Mr. Weasley and Percy had a fight. He'd been promoted, even though he literally had no idea that his boss was being controlled by Voldemort and there was an inquiry. You would think anyone would lose their job over something like that, but apparently not. So he's been promoted to work in Fudge's office as junior assistant to the minister. And the theory is that Fudge wants Percy to spy on his family because the minister is making sure that no one who works there has connections to Dumbledore. Which seems like it should be illegal to me. It's not like Dumbledore is a terrible person like Voldemort. I feel like ensuring that your workers don't have any connections to Voldemort makes more sense and is probably more legal than making sure that they don't have ties to a man who literally runs the school that many of their children attend. So not sure how that works. What do you think? Is Fudge overstepping his boundaries as minister? Or is he allowed to control his own workspace? And so apparently Percy lashed out at his father, saying that he's struggled against his father's reputation, and also that his father is an idiot to run around with Dumbledore, and that he was going to drag everyone down with him, and so Percy doesn't want to be part of the family anymore because he thinks his family are traitors to the ministry. And not only that, but Percy doesn't think Harry's word is good enough on the Voldemort being back issue. Okay, so... There's a lot to unpack here. The biggest thing being that Percy has unwavering loyalty to his government, which normally isn't a problem unless your government is doing bad things. And we're starting to see that the ministry may not be as trustworthy as we once thought, especially when we take into account that they're attacking a boy that's 15 years old. This is through the Daily Prophet, which we find out from Hermione has been making comments about Harry all summer so far, making him seem like a crazy person. We saw this begin to happen last book, where Rita was starting to discredit Harry, and he was working on the minister who didn't believe Harry at the end of Goblet of Fire. Now the Daily Prophet is continuing that, and Hermione insists that Fudge is probably behind it because they don't want anyone to believe Dumbledore or Harry about what's happened. Just like was said in the last book, Fudge is too in love with his job to do the right thing. The prophet also didn't report on the Dementor attack, and Hermione thinks that they're waiting, hoping that Harry will get expelled, and then they can run all the stories about him. How do we feel about the fact that the ministry is essentially controlling the narrative here. Not just the narrative, but they're genuinely in control of the main source of media in the wizarding world. We haven't heard of any others. There's no wizarding NPR, although it seems like there should be. (laughs) So there's that. And there's also the fact that Percy knows Harry. They aren't strangers, and he doesn't believe him which is heartbreaking if you really think about it. We've never really liked Percy that much in this series because he's kind of always been annoying. 
And you would think that with a close family friend, as Harry has been since book one, that he would at least believe Harry and not be blinded by what the government says about him. There's also the fact that it's probably right that Percy is being used by Fudge to spy on his family, which he can't really do now that he's moved out. His dedication and his desire to climb the ladder has ruined his ties to his family. What do we think about that? Is a job really worth disconnecting from your family over? And also, there's the fact that Percy said that his dad has had a bad reputation at the ministry and no ambition, which is why the family hasn't ever had a lot of money. Which, woof. Although I think it's possible that maybe Percy has had a hard time rising up to what he wants to be because of his dad's reputation, it's still a terrible thing to say, and it's not like Arthur is bad at his job. It seems like it's just that people think him liking muggle stuff is weird, which maybe plays into that anti-muggle bias we spoke about in the last book. Even though muggles are very much part of this world, since you have muggle-borns that exist and half-bloods that exist. And also, there's a divide here between what Percy thinks is right and what his father thinks is right. Percy thinks that everyone should strive to be at the top of their game, but not everyone wants the highest office available. Second of all, Mr. Weasley loves his job. We have seen from the moment that we met him that he loves muggle stuff, and he gets to work with muggle stuff all the time. So that's perfectly fine. It isn't always about power and reputation, but what you love to do. Don't you think? Or don't you agree? What do you think about Percy here? Is he in the right, or is he in the wrong? And also, if we think about this in the big picture sense, what do you think this means for this book? This is a huge thing to have happened to the Weasleys. Do you think we'll see more divides like this going forward? What do you think it means? After this conversation, Mrs. Weasley comes back upstairs and says that dinner is ready and that they need to keep their voices down in the hall. However, Tonks trips over the umbrella stand and we find out why everyone needed to keep quiet. Chaos ensues. A woman in a portrait starts to scream, and other portraits scream with her. And it's this huge issue to get her closed and quieted down, and we're left with another fun cliffhanger. This portrait is Sirius's mother. So we'll end this episode with the questions of, what's your first impression of Sirius's mother? Why do you think she's here? And what do you think we'll find out in the next chapter, which is also named The Order of the Phoenix? Let me know at firstyearspodcast at gmail.com or send me a DM or tag me on Instagram or Twitter at firstyearspod. I love hearing your guys' thoughts. For next episode, you need to read chapter five, and I will see you next time.
First Years is a production of Matchbook. It's produced by Quinn Parker and myself, Sarah Jones Dittmeyer. All sources can be found in our show notes or on our website at authorsarahjonesdittmeyer.info forward slash first years podcast. That's Sarah with an H and Dittmeyer is spelled D-I-T-T-M-E-I-E-R. Please remember that staying a Harry Potter fan is the biggest form of revolt that you can have, and we are committed to continuing to make this fandom and this community safe and welcoming to everybody.